Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the places where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and I. You can also connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, also on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic Podcast. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man that's already pre ordered NCAA 2021, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Hey man, if uh, payers can get played for or if players can get paid for their likeness, then the only logical next step is that we are doing an online dynasty only using, um, let's say, Middle Tennessee State level teams, and see how long before one of us knocks Alabama uh, out in the national championship game. Players getting paid, payers getting played. <laughs> and we're playing with only Sunbelt teams. That's what we're going to do. Uh, so, yeah, the NCAA this week said that very intentional verbiage. They're going to consider legislation or regulations allowing players to get uh, NIL rights, so name, image, and likeness rights, which once they make that decision, they'll find a way to make it terrible for players to do so. Maybe they'll take away their right to transfer after graduating. Who knows how the NCAA will make this worthless because they're the worst. Texas needs to go independent and the NCAA needs to be abolished. But that's a whole nother conversation. We're here to talk Texas football. Texas had a bye week. So on Thursday, we did our men's basketball preview. The men's basketball team tips off Tuesday. You're probably listening to this Tuesday morning. So check out that men's basketball preview before uh, that game so you can laugh at everything Kyle and I say after the game. Uh, But we're going to take this opportunity opportunity where we're normally on our Tuesday show give you a little recap we're going to take an opportunity to kind of look back at the first eight games of the season and and use that to to take a look at the last four games of the season pivotal four games for the Texas Longhorns they currently sit at five and three three and two in conference play it's kind of a log jam in the middle of the conference basically everybody's tied for fifth place like you've got Baylor OU and then everybody tied for fifth. So Kansas State and Iowa State are currently tied there. It's kind of a weird log jam. Uh, if Texas wins out, they need a little bit of help. But theoretically, if Texas wins the next four games and OU wins out or somebody just beats Baylor another time, Texas will find its way likely in the Big 12 championship and it's really been a tale of two sides of the ball for Texas this year uh doing some incredible things on offense at least through the air the they're the number 11 scoring offense number 19 in total offense passing offense number 14 defensively number 97 in scoring defense number 127 in passing yards allowed so like Kyle I don't the injury excuse is a real thing right I'm not going to completely say like they're a terrible team. There's been decimated by injuries. Six players allegedly returning for uh, from injury against Kansas State, which hopefully should make a difference. But it's – I don't want to say this has been disappointing because I think the expectations may have been a little too lofty heading into the season. But based upon everything you and I said in our preview podcast – we have to say it, it it's at least marginally disappointing thus far. Oh yeah, I think I think the entirety of the season is is disappointing, right? You look at the kind of regression throughout the course of the season and I think that certainly can point to injuries as 
a factor, but I also think there were some things that um, they came out and did strong in the beginning of the year, and then you kind of learned how to stop them, right? And, and that comes to coaching where you say, hey, you had a great game plan. You did pretty well against LSU. LSU had a couple things that worked. Um, when you got a good team, Oklahoma State, they did a little bit. When West Virginia, a good coach, got there, they did a little bit more. When Oklahoma, a really, really well-coached team, you know, got a hold of that, they showed the formula to beat you. And now that that's out there, um, I mean, basically since the West Virginia game, which Texas wasn't great in their fifth game, really in the second half of the fourth game of the season in Oklahoma State, right, where they tried to give it away via punt return, um, death by a thousand punt returns, which is the worst uh, worst title of all time. But, um, you know, from that second half on, they really haven't played a perfect complete awesome amazing uh amazing game and you look at the last three games basically they uh they won by one and lost by 17 so a negative uh that's 10 and 7 um a negative uh negative 14 right there so you you or negative 15 you have uh you know you're trending downward on that chart and it's not as though tcu and kansas are world beaters oklahoma obviously a very good team Kansas State, you know, we're going to talk about them coming up. Iowa State, Baylor, all really good teams. So I, that, that log jam you talked about in the middle, Texas needs to prove that they have what it takes, maybe using uh, that bye week not just to get healthy, but to reset some of the game plans. Come back out like week one now. What do you have that's new? What do you have that you're going to um, use to, you know, to rock a couple pretty good defenses in Kansas State, Iowa State, Baylor coming up? So um, I, I think there's a lot to prove. I think they've been sufficiently humbled. I think the Kansas game was embarrassing. I think then turning it into a loss at TCU that, you know, if they execute a couple more times could have absolutely been a win. Um, I think they've been humbled. And let's see if when they get punched in the mouth, they they cower and back down and the season's over, or they step up and they show that that's that's just enough to make them angry. Yeah, and and I think they get to play – the underdog card a little bit this week, even though they opened up as a, I believe it was a six point uh, favorite against Kansas state at home. Uh, Kansas state does have the number next to their name while Texas does not. So I think they can play a little bit of the, uh, the underdog card, but this is if the, if the injured players, especially on defense come back, this is a completely winnable slate. And I say that knowing full well, that Baylor is currently undefeated and they uh, are what ring I think number 12 or number 13 uh, the college football playoff rankings are coming out I think as we record but that's neither here nor there um but I also think Baylor hasn't played any of the tough teams in the big 12 like they got Oklahoma State on a bad week and Oklahoma State is the most bipolar team in the big 12 um, easily and so it's a like their margin of victory in some of these big 12 games like Three of their games, they've won by three points, including uh, a West Virginia game that West Virginia had every shot of winning. So I think Baylor may be a little bit of a paper bear or a paper tiger, depending on uh, if you're going to go with me on that metaphor. Uh, again, we ha- Texas has Stearns, Whittington, um, BJ Foster is supposed to be back at full strength, overshone. Still a little bit of a question mark on Monday. Uh, McCullough hasn't practiced, but he they're hoping can get him back for game time. So I think the question with all of that, Kyle, I think is what is it going to take over these next four slash maybe five games, depending on if you are a sky is falling internet person or not. Uh, what was it? What is it going to take over the close of this season for you to feel like it's been a success? Oh man, um, I think showing inability to to bounce back, inability to finish 
strong. I think you know whether that translates to three wins to close it out, uh, or or even four wins to close it out, and really a, a turning of the tide. I don't I don't know that there's a number of wins right now. I think the, the obvious you know thing is they're going to be bowl eligible, which is a very low bar. Let's remember we're, that's not the bar for Texas anymore. So making a bowl is not going to do it. Um, but I also don't think they have to make the Big Twelve championship now with kind of the turmoil and adversity they've had. Um, and, and say if they don't do that, the season is a failure. I think we looked at last year, we looked at the Sugar Bowl, we kind of inflated our expectations a little bit. And I, I we said on this very podcast, we were cautiously optimistic. We kept trying to talk ourselves down, but the more we drank the Kool-Aid, the more excited we got and talked ourselves into it. But I think Texas is probably a top 15, top 20 team, and they always have been this season. We'll see what next season can be, but with the defense and having to replace as many as they did and then the injuries, that was always where they were going to be. They would be overachieving if they got past that. So the expectation is they get back, get a number next to their name, a nice number, get a nice bowl, and then come up for a bowl and get a good win, get that momentum again into next season with Sam's senior season and take it there. Again, I would love to set feel like that's a low bar and they blow me away. But that's, to me, if we don't get there, if we don't have a number next to our name, if we don't end the season on a high feeling like, all right, we executed, we came back from adversity, from injury, from things, and we showed a fight, then I think it, it reflects on the players, the coaches, the school, the pride of what is Texas. I think all of that uh, becomes an issue. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And, and I really like, I think three of four to end the regular season feels like a fair expectation at, you know, an eight and four season. They don't end up in the big 12 championship game, but they get to play on a, uh, in a decent bowl. I think something probably not new year six, but something maybe a December, like 29th, December 30th feels like an okay, uh, okay expectation for them. And, and I really, I think the impressive showing for me needs to be in the bowl game, because like you said, Last year, it was the 127th best defense in the country, and they lost eight players. So the expectation for this defense to be better is a false expectation. Again, next year, there at least you should see that there's only one way to go, and that's up because they are one of the statistical worst defenses in the conference, but they're only going to lose two starters with Jeff McCullough's starter status. Well, three starters probably with Jeff McCullough's starter status being in air quotes because he's uh, been injured and splitting time even when healthy. They'll lose uh, they'll lose Roach, they'll lose Jones, and they'll lose McCullough, and then everybody else is staying around. So that to me shows if they can end the season on a high note, win win a fun game in a bowl. It doesn't need to be a blowout, but just a a good solid win in a bowl uh, with something to build on for next year, and with a team that's going to have a ton of returning talent on both sides of the ball, that feels like a successful end of the season to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you talk about those injuries and you talk about some of the guys, obviously Caden Stearns, a player who was so high as freshman year and really kind of has a lost season at this point. Um, We're hoping he's able to get some of that momentum back and really anchor a defense next year that's going to need some people to step up. Remember, Brandon Jones is one of the seniors that will be leaving. So this is a chance for Stearns to kind of start that precedent where he takes over and makes uh, the defense his team and that secondary his stamp on it. And then again, we're talking about a guy in Jordan Whittington who we haven't seen yet. All the hype, one of the most hyped freshmen in Texas uh, recent memory. I mean, and, and for, for good reason he just looks like an, an animal as a as an 18 year old just looks incredibly um you know well developed and fast and athletic and making some big plays um 
we haven't got to see that yet. So there's some curious things when we talk about the close of the season, when you think of, of Whittington, maybe Stearns, depending on health. If they, they take the red shirt, they play up to four games, you know, you see where they're at um, and, and also where the season's at and where the rest of the team, especially in their position is, if it becomes a necessity or you play a little bit of the longer game. Um, I don't know that Stearns necessarily is saying, hey, I want to be take a red shirt and hey, I want to stick around for a couple more years. That's a guy who knows he can play on Sundays. Um, but Whittington, I mean, why, why waste your freshman year at that point unless, again, similarly, you're just so confident that you think you're going to play at the next level at a position that's a little bit harder to project. Yeah, and and the coaches have said they're they're pretty certain Whittington's not going to stay four years, much less five. So why why miss on a potential game with him? I think has been a lot of the line of reasoning that Tom Herman had at least heading into the season. I don't know what that means at this point. Uh, you know, I, I this is not a lost season. A lot of people are already writing this season off. If Texas wins out. It's not a lost season. If Texas wins out, Baylor's going to drop another game. I'm I'm confident in saying that if Texas wins out, Baylor's going to lose to OU. And now OU is an infinitely beatable school. I would love to see Texas win out, OU beat Baylor, and then lose in Bedlam because that would be the greatest thing in the world. And then Texas gets to beat a, ba- a Baylor team in the Big 12 championship game. That's not that good. That would be <laughs> like the that, – that's the dream scenario, right? That's like the if I got my Christmas wish – that would be how the season ended. Um, so I think the next question is, like, we've talked a little bit, we've skirted around yeah. a potential regression for this team. And so what what would be the bare minimum for you for this not to feel like a completely lost season and a regression after a really promising second year under Tom Herman? Oh, well, I mean, losing your bowl game, whichever bowl game you get to, would 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 not seem great, right? I, I think um, just from the highest level, that's a step back because you won a bowl game last year. That's not to say you expect him to be perfect, but if you're losing a New Year's Six bowl game or you're losing a playoff game, that's a little bit different than if, you know, whatever one of these scenarios plays out and you get maybe a, a, an opponent that you're a little bit on paper better than or you're evenly matched with, you expect big game Tom to rise to that occasion and hopefully, you know, get that momentum like he did at the end of last year. So I think just from the the highest level, if they don't win their bowl game wherever they get to, that could be a potential regression. But I, I really truly think, right, there is there is the the darkest timeline where, you know, I think we're just assuming tech is a win and, and I don't want to say we lose four because I don't like that and I'm not even gonna speak that into existence. So there is the darkest timeline where they have three close games with Kansas State, Iowa State, and Baylor, and they lose all three of them right that's your worst case scenario and and basically they're barely bowl eligible maybe they sneak in like a you go back to year one they beat you know a really overrated sec team which hey beating sec is worth something and and the bottom half of the sec is absolute garbage but uh but yeah i mean that's huge regression and if that's the case i don't think you can go and say oh we're just pressing reset we're starting over no at that point one of Tom's guys, one of the, the people he trusts, one of his buddies, he has a continuity. He's all about alignment. He brings his people from that he knows from previous uh, stops. That's how he likes to run it. But you then have to say, you know what? Sorry, Fredo. I knew it was you. Give him a kiss on the boat. And if that's Todd Orlando, if it's Tim Beck, you know, one of them goes to sleep with the fishes. Yeah, and I think that's that's the conversation to have because I think it's such a weird uh, – it's such a – there's – I don't want to say weird. Weird's not the right – uh, the right word for that, but it's such an interesting conversation to have because 
Orlando's unit is clearly the worst of the two units, at least based on the last two yeah. years of production. Um, and again, people have their beef with Tim Beck as well on the offense. And so I don't, what, what changes do you think they make? If again, if the worst timeline happens, if this team is a six and six team and they end up six and seven after losing a bowl game, what are the changes you, you think they make or you want to see made? Uh, I don't think that happens. I think they, they end well above 500, maybe not well above 500, but at least a couple of games above 500. But if the worst happens, what do you, what do you see changing? I think there's only a couple like ironclad guaranteed guys. I don't think Yancey goes anywhere. I don't think Herb Hand goes anywhere, right? I think you, you start at that point, and then from there you start negotiating. I do think Oscar Giles has done great, and now that he's you know recruiting well, and I, I don't think he goes anywhere just because of his Texas uh, history. I think he's probably the third one um, in that group. Um, after that, there's a lot of question marks. I think Tim Beck, because of the way the offense performed, might be my my next man safe. But you start getting underneath that stand rate, and hey, you, you land Bijan, okay, great. That that was something. But like, you coached up Roshan, who never had it. That proves something. But do they have to make a move? I I, I think you probably have Corby Meekins and Drew Mayringer in the in the receivers game as as more likely candidates. And then we're just talking offense right now. When you get to the defense, I think as much as you know, I've I've known some of these coaches for years. Coach Nivar, Coach Washington. Um, I hate to see it, but I mean, when you're Nivar got promoted, he's the co-defensive coordinator it's hard to say that you and Orlando are, are here next year, right? Uh, I think Washington might be a part of that if you bring in a new defensive coordinator and it's a bit wholesale, right? And and um, I think Giles is your is your defensive guy, the only only man left. Yeah, I, I I struggle with that because Washington has been so good yeah. as a as a recruiter for yep. Texas. I don't especially uh, with a, with a couple of decommits happening recently, uh, and at that cornerback position, at that, I I don't see them making a change with with Washington, which is, which is the thing that you've got to keep in the, take into account here is like you've got to keep a recruiting class together as well. So you're exactly right, and and, and Coach Washington is a fantastic human being. So like everyone who's ever met him, coach, player, parent, whatever, loves him. You're right. Um, I I, I think. So it depends what level you're talking. A six win versus a nine win or an eight win, you have a little bit different level of how far the hammer drops. The only thing is, yeah, you may wait to do that until your recruiting class is done and you're trying to keep everyone together. Now with the portal, you're never done recruiting your own players, which is crazy. Um, But you bring a new defensive coordinator in, and one of the things to think about is not only are they filling out the staff, but because your, your offense was so much better than your defense, you have to. Take the imbalance away right now where there's only four uh, defensive coaches and I think there's six or whatever with the with with the offense and and you 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 take that balance maybe the other way four six or at least five five um, and and you have to assume that you know that puts one of the offensive guys for sure um, in the crosshairs for for you know to be replaced by by a defensive coach in my mind it's it's like it's it's like seven five Kyle which is crazy um. I think Wareheim is a guy that I've said for a couple of years. Yeah. I'm not – the offensive line unit three years ago was really, really bad. Um, I haven't seen a ton of development from Texas's tight ends, and he's also the special teams coordinator. Yeah. Which that's... that unit has been absolutely god-awful this year. Uh, the returners, the kickers, great. Continue being who you are. But as far as returners, 
a couple of these close games hinged on Texas having positive field position off punts and that didn't happen. And so um, Wareheim's a guy that again, and maybe I just I, something about him. I don't know what it is, but like, I, I just have, Oh, like I've been unimpressed with the units that he's coached for the last three years. And so that's a guy that I think if you're looking to add another defensive mind to it, that's that might be the guy from the offensive unit that and then maybe if you do go offense uh you know you got a guy in uh, in Dallas named Rashad Samples yep. who uh I don't know I don't know if he would leave SMU uh for anything other than coming back to Texas and the big check that will probably come with that yeah and and, and one thing to know when, when you I think that's actually a really interesting point we could talk about who some of those potential people would be and that's just an interesting interesting carousel but one of the inside baseball um pieces to to discuss here that listeners may not be aware of is we've had some success you think to the very crucial special teams plays that won the game for Kansas they were both field goal and extra point blocks uh kind of uh coaching assistant not staff but um analyst uh, who specializes in that is Casey Horney um so that's not even Wareheim's purview he everyone said like whenever you know we blocked the one against USC and ran that back last year the coaches all ran over and slapped uh Casey kind of um you know it was him who did it and then you know there've been a couple of players who've said in uh, in post game after some of these you know special teams plays we've had about um him him giving you know breaking down video giving giving you know schemes and stuff like that so um even the wins i guess maybe swinging your leg again the kickers and punters um but even the wins aren't necessarily protecting Wareheim so i think your hottest seat is probably some combination of your receiver and tight end coach right now and then again if you have to you, you think back to the mac brown school of philosophy right like someone goes make it the defensive coordinator it's tough because i think two years ago we think that todd orlando is getting hired away and now it's like well it truly seems like todd orlando is really good at scheming for an opponent he's really good at coming up with something with a plan but once people figure that out a, he's never been like a huge recruiter, right? So that that's one thing, and and that's separate. But but B, like I was saying, once it's figured out, like I have not seen a level of, of in game adjustment or the ability to deviate from your game plan, even when you're getting whipped, um, that would that would signify like a level of confidence. And you're right, like I love Todd Orlando. We've joked on this podcast about you know like no one watch, no one hire him, like how badly we didn't want to lose him. And so it is a it is a long departure, but I almost wonder after he basically kind of looked at what Iowa State was doing on defense and said I could do that, but with better players, and did it to great success with his new base system in his first year. Um, where has the adjustment been? I know there's been injuries that took away kind of their interesting wrinkle with the eight defensive backs that was all the ballyhoo in the in the preseason, and we we used it in early season, and so maybe that hurts. Like with the talent package you have, you basically mitigated your greatest asset lots of fast guys um, by injuries, right? And so I, I get it. I'm not saying the job has been easy. It's just, it seems like it shouldn't be as tough as he's making it. Yeah, there's there's a ton of talent, but not a ton to show for it, at least for the last two years. I think for, for to put a bow on this conversation, Kyle, I think we really need to look at predicting the next four games. I think that's that's a fair way to close this out. We'll obviously do our full Kansas State preview on Thursday, but what do you think is the record coming out of these four games? So uh, just these games or the, the, the overall season? Just record? just these last pivotal four games. Okay, so in, in, in my mind, I think Texas comes out 
and they they are motivated by the chance to be the the other the underdog and they actually put a hurting on Kansas State um, I think that momentum probably carries uh, into Iowa State now now I think they lose one of Iowa State or Baylor I'm gonna say I think they beat Baylor in tech and Kansas State and somehow Iowa State who's who's not the best out of the bunch but um, it is it is a road game in Ames which is which is tough everyone knows it even though Herman understands that and, and coaches him up for that um, it's tough and I think that might be the one that they drop and they go three and one yeah I I so the advantage for Iowa State is that it's a 230 kick and not a seven kick so yeah. that makes a that makes a weird amount of difference for me that being an afternoon game rather than a night game so I definitely think uh, I think they went beat Kansas State. I think uh, they've played better running backs and shut down better running backs. Again, yeah. they've also played better running backs and gave up 200 yards. But I think <laughs> that um, you'll see probably more of the, the, the Chuba Hubbard defense and less of the Puka Williams defense. Um, I think they beat Iowa State. Um, not handily. I think it's probably going to rely on Cameron Dicker and, and his right foot again. I, I legitimately see a situation where this team goes 4-0. My heart nice, nice. wants to say 4-0. My heart wants to say 4-0. I think my head my head says 3-1. and And you know what it's going to be? <laughs> they're going to beat Baylor. Duh. And Alan Bowman's going to come back for the last game of the season. Yeah. And they're going to lose to Tech at home. That just and made, I'm going to I'm going to ruin something. You just gave me acid reflux. Vomit just came into my mouth. Like... Ugh, not another dumb tech loss. Little, what is it? Little people, big world, whatever. Like some dumb gadget, stupid tech loss. Late Sam interception that's uncharacteristic. Something dumb. It's like whenever we lose to tech, it hurts more because it's like, this is dumb. They're dumb. They're not good. We're bad. They're bad, but they're less bad today. That's dumb. Don't even speak that into it. I'm, I'm mad now, Gerald. That's dumb. They're not the Crabtree tech. They are the. Um, crab in your sandals tech that was a way better way that i was gonna go with that so we'll be back on thursday to preview the kansas state matchup we've got a lot of good stuff coming at you on thursday but now's the part of the show where we honor the seemingly endless things happening on the 40 acres and sports not played at dkr and we down the 40 so number one women's volleyball continues to flat dominate the conference. They swept Tech and West Virginia, extending their winning streak to 11. They've only dropped one set through Big 12 play, coming in the second set of their opener against Iowa State. Blemishless sense. Kyle, are they the best team on campus? I think it's hard to say that they're not. That's dumb. That's stupid hard to do. It's like, how do you... Man, that's... I watched some volleyball in my day and that's tough to do to never even have like a oh we got down we weren't in it we didn't get up for this game you know our heads got a little out of there we had a miscommunication someone showed up late whatever you drop sets sometimes the fact that they did it once in the first big 12 game and they're they're keeping a a 10 plus you know game streak going um is incredible i mean they have some really really outstanding players on this team um as evidenced by the fact that this is the third straight week in a row that the Longhorns have picked up not one but two, both of the weekly conference honors with Mikaya White being the offensive player of the week and Asia O'Neill, the Big 12 rookie of the week. So they have talent top to bottom. They are motivated. They don't like that they lost some games early, and so they're just hurting anyone who you put out in front of them. So yes, the answer is yes, they are the best team on campus. 
I need Asia O'Neal to rock some straight back cornrows in honor of her father, who was <laughs> low key one of my like all time like guilty pleasure basketball players. I love me some Jermaine O'Neal <laughs> way back when. Taking it to the natatorium, number two, men's swimming and diving. Number eight, women's swimming and diving. Both went to College Station and uh, did something that we all love to see. They beat. Texas A&M in pretty convincing fashion. Uh, the men were up on the number. Okay, Texas A&M was ranked seventh. Uh, in the men's side, the women were ranked 16. Uh, sweeping several events in both uh, genders, regardless of how you top it. Uh, the 1,650, the 200 free, uh, and the 500 free, and the men's completely swept by Texas. Uh, on the women's side, Texas is taking the top two spots in four different events. Uh, it's really, really impressive what's going on uh, in that swimming and diving program, who are easily the, the standard that people apply to the football team as far as winning a national championship every year is more aptly applied to the swimming and diving team on both the men and women. Number 18, men's golf won both the stroke and match play titles at the East Lake Cup, defeating the Oklahoma State Cowboys to close out fall play. Freshman Travis Vick clinched the actual tournament win for the match play on the final hole of the tournament. Number two, women's golf. Smashing records as they smash dreams. They won the White Sands Invitational to close out their fall play. They won that event, Kyle. 29-stroke victory. They they posted a 36-under for the week. I have had holes where I had 29 strokes. Like, that's that's unbelievable. I, I, I have no words for how dominant that is. And I, I looked it up. There was like four or five ranked teams in that tournament they just this is this is where you get to use it they they flat mollywop some folks that is that is fantastic they were paced uh by freshman sophie guo who put up a minus 17 on the week so uh she did seven there were there were uh, 19 understroke somewhere else but she did a big uh a big chunk of the work uh the soccer team closed out the regular season with a 3-2 win over uh oklahoma uh, oklahoma the sooners right it was oklahoma. on a golden goal uh, before losing to TCU uh, in a two-overtime penalty shootout in the opening round of the Big 12 tournament. Uh, they were upset. They were a three seed. They fell to a six seed. That's kind of been uh, a bit of the story of the season. Just they're, they're, the expectations and the uh, the results don't quite line up. Women's tennis, uh, Fernanda Labrania <laughs> playing the singles championship at the Texas Invitational. So big ups to her. Uh, Cross country finished out their season on their conference season on Saturday, the women finished second. The men finished third at the Big 12 Cross Country Championships. The women turned in their highest finish since 2011. Man, we don't talk. We this is the first time I think we've ever mentioned cross country, but those those squads are pretty pretty all right. Yeah, seven all Big 12 performers, three men, four women. The, the women were two points. The way they score cross country, you just add up your finishes and whoever. It's like golf, lowest score wins. They were two points off in the person who, you know, they had someone who finished like a step behind um, the, the 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 winners. And if those two would have basically switched places, they would have won the Big 12 um, in cross country. So awesome performance from, from both teams. They get to advance to the NCAA South Regionals in Fayetteville, November 16th. Kyle, I'm going to leave these next two to you because they are uh, 
right up your alley or uh, or right over the plate, maybe. Oh, absolutely. Glad you didn't throw me a curveball there, more of an ephus, but uh, that's a deep baseball reference. Anyways, softball. Uh, I had a little fall ball. We call it uh, we call it free ball. This is extra baseball. Softball does not count. Just let that be known. It's basically glorified scrimmages, but it's extra softball. And if you know one thing about me, guys, it's you know that I am all the way in on the Texas softball coach White Mike era. So they went six and one in, in fall ball with wins over Tarleton State and Vernon College coming in um, to the week. They also had a ten inning or extra inning loss to LSU was their one. Um, but in this week's uh, four wins that they had <clears throat> in back to back doubleheaders Saturday and Sunday, Gerald. They won by a combined 36 to 2. That's That's okay. That's that's Sam Ellinger last season touchdown to interception numbers. That's that's unbelievable. That's very hard to do. One of those wins was 14 to 0 over St. Mary's, a couple 7-1 wins over uh over a couple uh, smaller opponents um and an 8-0 win over Temple. They finish out the the fall slate. This Friday, um, the eighth against Texas State, and that's also at home. So uh, the, the the full season will get up, but this is a great uh, primer. But then baseball also announced their schedule: thirty-two home games. So a lot of chances for fans to get out there, get some of that fan-friendly pricing, see some Coach Pierce redemption story. We want uh, we want to see the baseball team go out and do well. And for me personally, excited that seven of those games are in Houston. Uh, the season opening series in Rice before coming back. I think two weeks later for the Shriners Hospital uh, College Classic, which takes place at Minute Maid, and there's all good teams in there. It's just like all matchups are good. So I talked to uh, a good friend of the pod, Coach Zychek. We might take a day off work and just go watch all the possible games at that, including the Longhorns. Sounds like a good time at the Jukes. At the jukebox. No, the juice box is what they call Minute Maid Park. Uh, number 15 women's basketball uh, won their exhibition last week over Lubbock Christian by 10 points. Uh, they opened the season uh, Friday against USF in Tampa. Maybe uh, Coach Strong will be in attendance trying to figure out which horns he is putting up. Uh, after a disappointing close to last season, they uh, unfortunately left the NCAA tournament in the first round. Uh, Suge Sutton was all-conference honoree last year, so there's a lot to build on for uh, for this team, and, and the expectations are uh, somewhat tempered because of the end of the season, but I think the number next to their name will get smaller as the season progresses. Yeah, the 35th time they've opened the season ranked at 15, kind of right in the middle of the rankings. Uh, they have a lot. They have some of the most experience of any team in the Big 12. Like you said, Shug Sutton, also Joyner Holmes and Jada Underwood bring 40 combined starts. And then LaShawn Higgins came back because she blew out her knee and lost basically her entire senior year for a fifth year. Um, so they are deep. Uh, they have a lot of talent. They're experienced, and they have a coach who you know knows how to win in the in the Big Twelve. Just needs to put it all together to get that Big Twelve championship. Though, of course, Baylor looms. Baylor always looms, but you know what? Keep looming. And finally, men's basketball tips off uh, probably tonight as you're listening to this episode. If you listen to it the day it comes out, uh, their season opener against North Colorado Bears. You can catch it on Longhorn Network. Uh, they are, they, 
this team, like we talked about, you can go back and listen to our Thursday episode from last week to get a full preview. But this is going to be a more guard-centric team than we've seen in the past. Uh, Andrew Jones is uh, in the rotation. Shaka Smart called him one of the top six guys, which is just incredible to see after uh, losing two seasons to uh, a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, that's. I mean, that that's probably the best thing I've I've heard all week. You know, was like he they they in the in the press conference they kind of just asked, um, you know, uh, how are you grading him? Is he are you you treating him like every other player? Does he have special circumstances? He said, hey, he's got his shot that never went anywhere. He's got more basketball wisdom. He may still be getting back to his physical um, peak, but I I grade his performance like any other player on the team, and that's somehow to me the most feel good story that a guy went through that. And exactly 23 months later, since he's played significant minutes for Texas, uh, he's going to be graded like just another guy. He's not just another guy. He has the heart of a freaking lion and, and is more of a warrior than, than you or I will ever know. But the fact that he gets to go out and just be a basketball player, just be Andrew Jones, a guy who put up 23 points on you and be defined by that is a, such an incredible thing for him. And I'm just so excited to, to cheer for him this season. Yeah, I uh, you and I got real emotional when he played for just a few minutes last year, getting to see him play as a Shaka smart said, significant minutes for Texas this year is going to be great. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, big Bertha. And we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, this week I get to bang the drum with a little bit of uh, a little bit of passion, a little bit of fury. You know, we're, we're in a bye week, Gerald. So what is there to do but to to look at other teams play and look at uh, you know look back in the annals and look at you know think about interesting times? And I got to look back through my own collection of DVDs, and I have two Rose Bowls. There's one of which is especially prized to me, Gerald. There was a game you may have heard of it uh, where Vince Young Rose Bowled for the second time, um, not Michigan. But USC, both of those games probably should have been in this list I'm about to reference. But ESPN went and ranked their top college football games of all time. Sounds like a fine experiment. Obviously, as soon as I saw that, I immediately went and clicked on the list. Um, To my shock, I had to scroll. I, I do not understand why or how I had to scroll. But it wasn't until I got to number seven that the 2006 Rose Bowl between number two Texas and number one USC that is truly and utterly the greatest game ever played without a doubt was number seven. Games ahead of it included App State over Michigan. Cool. I get it. We love an underdog story. Michigan was ranked five at the time. They were overrated. But we love it. Cool. Great. Like, okay. Um, I know that Penn State Miami 1987 game. My dad talks about that as a Penn State fan. I've heard a lot about the Miami Nebraska game in '84. Great, cool. It was a national championship game against the greatest dynasty that ESPN had ever seen. They were talking about their local California boys like they were actual deities. We were playing the Monstars. We were playing a team that was not human. Could USC beat? The, you know, whoever was terrible at that time, I assume it was probably still the Jaguars. Those were the conversations that we're having. Everything that you know, if you're a new college football fan about Alabama, multiply it with hometown California Hollywood bias about these unimpeachable and impregnable defense and untouchable offense. 
Thunder, Lightning, Reggie White, Lendell. Oh my gosh, Matt Liner. He's probably going to play for 16 Pro Bowls in the NFL. Has everyone ever been greater? It's the greatest offensive line ever assembled. Pete Carroll's the best coach. He can't be outdone. Then they met Vince Young. And Vince Young solidified himself on that day. What everyone in Texas already knew as the greatest competitor in the history of college football, as the greatest winner in the history of college football, in the greatest game of all time in the history of college football, one Vince Young and a host of utterly incredible players. There's too many to name. I will gladly, gladly link you to just a Wikipedia article and read that roster. They're all actual legends. But Vince Young, first and foremost, put the team on his back, though, and did everything that you could do against an impossible foe. And the reason it's not a top five game, it's a number one game, is the way that it ended. That you couldn't have scripted a more perfect Hollywood ending. I'm sure you're all hearing the Craig Way call in your ears right now. Maybe you're a Keith Jackson man. All the dreams. All the hopes. (laughs) You know it. Because it's utterly iconic. Vince rose to the biggest occasion on the biggest stage against the biggest, baddest team. And USC ain't been diddly-poo since he broke them. Now they might get Urban Meyer. That might change. Rumors, rumors. He broke them. He broke their spirit. He broke their dynasty. He broke their bagmen. He broke Rezzy Bush's Heisman. Vince Young, in that performance... The University of Texas defense in that performance. The University of Texas, Coach Mack Brown, they all deserve the number one game. I know it's crazy to get upset about a silly list from a a four-letter network that is pretty problematic. But I do get upset because they deserve better. That's the number one game. Hook them. Just looking at this list shows me that nobody under the age of 35 uh, worked on this list because... There are only two games that happened after 1988 on this list. Yeah. And that is that App State Michigan game. That was a that was a fun game to watch. I was Absolutely. a Michigan hater at the time, but it wasn't better than the national championship that immediately preceded it. It wasn't better than the Boise State Oklahoma Fiesta Bowl. It none like I would put the 2018 Tua National Championship comeback, mm-hmm. even though I hate the mm-hmm. Alabama dynasty, a true freshman coming in, throwing a lob, down, just a dart down the sideline. Like I, I understand that these are um, significant games for the history of college football, but ignoring everything that happened between 1989 and 2006 and then anything that happened from 2007 to 2019 is ignoring a big chunk of of what most of ESPN's target audience is shooting for. So um, that is, again, absolutely preposterous that that game is at number seven. And the man that hosted that team after that game, I'm banging the drum on the Minister of Culture's 50th birthday. Now, there's an old saying about... um, Black don't crack, but I really wish and hope that I look as good as the minister of culture does on his 50th birthday, (laughs) on my 50th birthday. Uh, He and I live very different lifestyles. Um, I wear more clothes and more deodorant. He plays more bongos. But, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, different lifestyles that we're running. But, But it's just 
McConaughey has has ascended to a different level of um, of status for Texas fans because at the USC game, I like I didn't even know McConaughey was a Texas guy. Like I I you know I'd seen him around Austin, but I didn't know he was like that big of a Texas fan before before that Texas USC game, and they did that incredible intro with uh, him and Will Ferrell, which is just great. I love it. I laugh every time I watch it. And he's just become almost synonymous with Texas athletics. And to have somebody that is an iconic actor, and, and you can argue about whether he's iconic, but he has more Academy Awards than I do, so I can't really argue with that. So it's just it's just cool to see him become part of the culture. And you know what? People give him grief and give him crap and love to make fun of him. But I would I think it's it's born completely out of jealousy because most people have to trot out I don't know, Ashley Judd to college game day when we get Matthew McConaughey rolling up in a burnt orange Cadillac with horns on the front. And let us remember, if everyone, hopefully, if we have newer listeners, um, I'm sorry, go back and listen to our entire au revoir. Um, it's, it's very good. But if you remember from our OU preview podcast this season, when they roll out their most famous alum, you can either go with good old JR, you can go, I guess, with Toby Keith, or you can go with Butnick. I got nothing. Butnick is the Butnick is the winner. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Feel free to shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook em. Hook 'em. Hook 'em. Watch those feet, Ryan Tannehill.